Hello and welcome to Ranting Soccer Dad for November 15th, 2017. Or as we might call it this week, Ranting Sickly Dad. Yes, youth soccer has officially made me sick. Well, sort of, maybe it wasn't youth soccer's fault. I mean, it was just we... Uh, the youngest one had his season-ending tournament uh, this weekend um, down the road from us. It's the only one where we go out and stay overnight. And we were in a tournament in which both his Saturday game and his Sunday game were at 8 in the morning. And we have had a beautiful fall here in Northern Virginia. Oh, my goodness, it's been beautiful. It makes me, makes me worry a little about climate change because it's a little too warm. But, you know, if you live in the moment... It was nice to have 60-degree weather for games in late October. In this case, it was 28-degree uh, weather or so. And when we got to the field Sunday morning after Zooming by Starbucks, um, we found that the field was covered in frost. And it was actually kind of funny for a while. Yeah, I mean, one of the teams, one of the guys was out making snow angels or frost angels, I guess you'd call them, and... Everybody had a lot of fun, uh, which was good because the the game itself was a farce. And, you know, you hate to pick on referees. And I'm not going to pick on assistant referees. I'm not going to pick on the um, the offsides calls, which were clearly wrong. <laughs> uh, but let me say this. When someone gets clobbered in the box and stays down, Okay, if you don't see a foul there, okay, that that's fine. That might happen. Maybe there wasn't a foul. But then play continued, and this ref just stared at the kid who was down in the box, who was kind of, you know, kind of slowly getting up. It took a while. About thirty seconds later, our team had a breakaway. In another, I mean, the the injured kid was off to the right of the box. This this teammate of his was had a breakaway down the left side of the box. No defender within two yards of him. I mean, he he had was a couple of steps past everybody, and was just going to go one on one with the keeper. Then the ref, who has not been watching play for the last thirty seconds, he's just been staring at this kid who's down. Then he blows the whistle. Come on, man. Come on. What are you doing? So between that and a few other eccentricities, we might say. Uh, the game was decided, and in the second half, our goalkeeper, you know, playing the last game of the season, decided, you know what, I'm going to just, I, I just collected the ball, I'm going to drop it at my feet, and I'm going to race up field with it like I'm Jorge Campos circa 1996. And it was fun, and we were all cheering for him. The ref didn't blow a whistle, but seemed to think that there was something wrong with it, because he came over and talked to the kid like he'd done something wrong. And he apparently told him, well, you know, you uh, when you take a goal kick, you have to kick it to somebody. And the, the kid point, pointed out, no, it wasn't a goal kick. But even if you thought it was a goal kick, why didn't you blow the whistle? I, I don't understand. Refing is hard. There are judgment calls that are really difficult to make. The outside call is quite difficult to to officiate you have to be in the right place completely focused and even then when was the ball passed you might not know you know you might not hear a foot on the ball uh, that's usually the tip-off 
if you don't hear anything, then it becomes really difficult because your, your eyes need to be two places at once. It's a difficult call. That's fine. But when people just don't have any common sense, my goodness, I, I don't know what to make of that. Fortunately, the kids had fun with it. Let the game become a farce. Didn't take it too seriously. You really don't want to know their record, but whatever. This week, I've got an interview with Kyle Martino, one of the candidates for the U.S. Soccer Presidency, and one of the ones who could not make the forum at uh, that Got Soccer had this past week, which was interesting. And please check out Ranting Soccer Dad, the blog, for a rundown of what occurred at that forum. And to hear from Kyle Martino, just keep listening. Here with Kyle Martino, and the first question is, you were floating the idea of running for president for a little while and then decided not to do it. And then there were other candidates coming in, but then a few weeks later you just you changed your mind and said, okay, I am going to run. So what was it that changed in that time that made you decide to do this? Yeah, good question. Just one, one correction. I never floated the idea of running. The idea was floated to me. Uh, starting from right after the Trinidad and Tobago game, I got, I was inundated with phone calls from people I respect, uh, in the soccer community asking if, if I would step forward, asking if, if they could rely on me right now to be the one at this inflection point to make sure that we put soccer back on the right track in this country. And initially that was flattering, but there were enough phone calls where I, I just took pause and thought, is this, is this the time? Is this the right thing to do? Um, I, I, I had a couple of conversations with important people to see, you know, does this make sense? And also, what can I affect? And, and after thinking through a lot of those things, myriad challenges that that you face getting into this not only the election but but eventually if you become president it, it just felt i couldn't get over a lot of these hurdles in in such a short time period in order to make it a possibility so i decided to tell leander that i wasn't running for two reasons one is i wanted to point to one of those obstacles i think the fact that it's a volunteer unpaid position um is not necessary and I, I'm I'm not suggesting that there's any nefarious reasoning behind it, but the the idea that you need to be independently wealthy or have another full time job to to run a hundred and fifty million dollar company in the biggest sports market in the country trying to grow the greatest game in the world a challenge that has been remarkable and, and one of the most difficult things to do in this crowded sports landscape. The idea that that could be a volunteer position, it, it just, it seems naive. And, and I think it's detrimental to the growth of this game. So I wanted to highlight that there's been interest internally to change that rule. And the ability uh -huh. is there, and it's just been pushed back. And what it does is it, it lowers the quality of candidates that can come forward 
and 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 either run for or eventually do this job. And um, I wanted to get rid of that because, for instance, I'll use one name. I, on Twitter, asked Julie Fowdy to step forward. I think she um, encapsulates exactly what we need in a, in a brilliant mind, a wonderful soccer visionary, a respected person in the community. I wanted to see her get into this race. But she said, as many others have said privately, she can't afford to. So um, I, I wanted to just point to that. That's a ridiculous barrier to entry. And by the way, if Sunil runs and he wins, he should be paid. So, so not only does it need to be a full-time, 24-7 position of fixing our soccer problem right now, but also going forward, you need to be a soccer visionary that's the, the voice in the face of this thing, selling this game publicly to not only our country but to the world. Um, so, so I did the article – just, just to highlight that not only would that create more candidates, but also creates accountability. If you're paying the president, we hold you to a higher standard. You know, there, there, there's no altruism in you doing the job. We pay your salary. I know you want to grow the game, but we hold you accountable because we see what the budget is putting towards your, your um, position. So, you know, I, I think it just makes a lot of sense, which is why my platform has three pillars of, of transparency, progress, or equality and progress. That's why transparency is first. We have to fix the, the, the problem of how opaque and, and, and the lack of accountability that currently exists there. But the next thing I wanted to do um, was I wanted to just take myself out of the picture because it's a distraction. It, it, the back channel that's going on right now in the soccer community and the people – who are calling me and, and urging me to run, I wanted them to put their efforts towards someone else. I, I, wanted, I didn't want anyone to hold out hope that I would get in because it was taking their time and effort away from convincing someone who could possibly get into this race. So I, I did that ostensibly to take, to take the attention off of me, but it did the opposite. Uh, the phone calls increased. The, the pleas to, to get involved and jump in the fray and, and save this soccer country at this point, uh, they just they were relentless at that point. And finally, I just had to take pause and say, is, is, is this the time? Uh, I had a very, very long, difficult conversation with my wife that went till 4 a.m. because before I make any decision, I've got to look at the people I love, the people I work for, the people I do everything for, and ask them, Will they support me in, in this challenging time? And when my wife saw in my eyes that there's a little kid in me that dreamed one day this game will be treated in our country the way it is around the world, and that little kid is fearful that dream is dying right now, um, she saw I had to do this. And so she, when, when my wife said, I'm behind you, I went to my next family, my NBC family, and asked for their blessing. And they saw the same thing in my eyes. And that's why I'm willing to walk away from my dream job a place that, you know, we have five more years of the rights. We are a part of something exciting. I'm working with a group of people that I consider family, that I love dearly, and every single one of them said, you have to do this, Kyle. And when I had that final support, um, I decided, you know, the, the other challenges that exist, the things that make this a very difficult transition at this point in my life, they're not big enough to not step forward and do what I can to help the soccer country. Now, without speaking ill of other candidates, and this has been, if, if you saw the, the forum, I know you couldn't attend the Got Soccer Forum. Yeah, I did. Weekend, but, right, but it's a, it, it, this has been a very genteel race, 
no one speaking ill of each other, except maybe a little bit of ill toward Sunil, who has not yet officially announced he's going to run. Um, but by the time you announce, several of those people, if not all of them, I think maybe maybe all but one of them had announced that, uh, okay, I'm I'm running. What is it that you see in yourself that, that sets you apart that made you decide that even with all those other people running, that you had to do it? Well, you know, of course I see that I'm more capable of helping this, this soccer nation than, than they are. And that's not a slight on them. It's just the belief I have in myself that I can answer these soccer problems. I and mean, that's what we have. If you look at U.S. soccer, the business side is, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we can thank Sunil for, is growing the budget together with Dan Flynn, is getting on the FIFA Council, is, is building a very compelling uh, bid for the 2026 World Cup. Um, the soccer side of things is, is suffering drastically. I mean, you don't have to, to empirically prove that. The men have failed to qualify for the World Cup for the first time since 1986. The, the women, by the way, if you talk to current or former players, and I have, they're frustrated mm-hmm. with the fact that they're the Spain, they're the Germany, they're the Argentina of the women's game, but we're not putting time and, and resources into ensuring that their success continues by focusing on the development of the next Mia Hams, Michelle Akers, uh, Alex Morgans. Um, so for me, I don't want to get lost in the who. I don't think a person for a person solves the soccer problem. I, I, I'm more focused on the what do we need. I mean, who, who do we need secondary to what do we need? And what we need right now is someone with the, the wisdom to to know how to attack the the problems that we face, to keep the business side running well, to, to grow uh, the business side, but also make sure we finally fix the soccer problem, the courage to attack those problems on a, on a massive scale, because this is a, a serious, serious challenge, um, and one that if we don't make the, rec- the, the right next decision could set us back 20 or 30 years um, but most importantly, the humility to know I don't have all the answers. And, and, and we've come out of an era of a president who um, tried to be the expert in every category. And, and, and I will start the job by making sure that I empower the experts and, and create a consortium. Like when you see a club fail uh, in Europe, a consortium of fans and businessmen, they all get together to save it, put it on the right track. I mean, that, that's why I've gotten into this race is because I have the network to to create a team to solve this problem. And that includes, by the way, people that already work for U.S. soccer, some great minds that are in there that are frustrated that they haven't been given the power to do things. Um, so one way I'm demonstrating that, obviously letters by David Beckham and Thierry Henry are good to show that I have reach. And the only reason I chose to use those um, was was not to brag, but it was just to show that you know this is a this is a problem that we can call on so many people to solve, and um, you know they don't they don't worry about the the politics of this because they're immune to any political retribution. So I, I've kept all the other names that support me anonymous, but I'm getting all these people together in a room in New York City. December fourth to the sixth, and we're creating a progress plan. I, I, I'm 
I'm upset, and one of the things that caused me to get into this race is I'm seeing a lot of bumper sticker slogans, but I'm not seeing any substantive ideas on how to fix this thing. So I want to put my money where my mouth is, get all of these people into a room, and and create the the, the roadmap to turning this soccer nation around and, and making sure that we become the soccer nation we were always destined to be. Um, so it's less about other candidates than, than it is about my belief that I can do this job better than the others. And, you know, obviously it's nice right now. We know how politics go. I'm sure at some point, um, you know, people who we know can't help being themselves are going to be themselves. There's a great Maya Angelou quote where she said, uh, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. At some point, you know, we're going to see who people really are. Um, and if I can't convince the delegates and the soccer country um, that I'm the right man to take U.S. soccer forward, I shouldn't be president. So I need to focus on me and my message and getting out to speak to people to find out what's keeping them up at night when they think about our soccer country. Um, but the other thing, you mentioned it, is I'm really shocked at, at, at some of the candidates disparaging Sunil in the way they are. I mean, listen, I was the first to publicly go out and say that that Sunil needs to step down and copied Sunil on my tweet. I'm, I'm, I'm not fearful of being critical of, of Sunil, and I've been critical of U.S. soccer in many ways for a long time from my platform, um, and I'm lucky I had that pulpit to do it. But um, Sunil has done great things for U.S. soccer. Whether he's president moving forward or not, I don't think he should be, but he's going to be involved in U.S. soccer. One of his great accomplishments is getting on the FIFA Council. And I, and I just mentioned it a moment ago. The 2026 bid looks good, but we have mm-hmm. to push that over the line. And the president needs to symbiotically work with Sunil. And that means, by the way, pushing back and telling Sunil when you don't agree with things, something I've been doing for a long time, which is why Sunil and I, uh, you wouldn't call us friends, but we respect each other. You, you, you need to... Um, to, to work with Sunil to accomplish big things. You know, for instance, FIFA tries constantly to create rules and, and, and pass down decrees that would drastically affect the game in our country because of how unique our sports landscape is. You need to work with Sunil to make sure those things don't happen. You need to work with Sunil to make sure we get the World Cup. Because, by the way, if we miss out on hosting 2026, that's more catastrophic than the men failing to qualify for Russia. Um, so, so it disappoints me that some of the candidates have decided to disparage and, and try and discredit a person who has served U.S. soccer for a very long time. Now, I can point to the need to move on from him and his his blind spot on the soccer side, but I can also at the same time say I'm grateful for the things that he's done, for the service he's given for, for the long time he's been president, um, and, and for what he'll do on the FIFA Council and a part of the bid. Uh, I have no problem saying that but also saying he's not the right guy to take U.S. soccer forward. I am, but I will make sure I work with him so we can accomplish everything we need to. Okay, so real quick, a couple of uh, questions. One is you've certainly been hearing from a lot of people, so do you have you – you're supposed to have three nominations uh, yeah. by an early December deadline. Is, is that secured for you already? No. So what I'm doing right now is I'm reaching out to delegates, and, you know, I I just got the list recently. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm – first, before I sell myself and ask for their support, I think it's a bit uh, presumptive and disingenuous to do that up front. 
obviously they know why I'm calling and why I'm writing. But I've been I've been spending hours on the phone with with wonderful individuals who from you know amateur associations, state associations, um, AYSO and U.S. Club. I mean all all of the wonderful people that make up our soccer landscape. I've been on the phone with them finding out what they want from a president, how how U.S. soccer can help them, what's going wrong. Because um, going back to not pretending like you're the expert, I'm not going to pretend to know the challenges that, that many of, of these communities are facing. For instance, I spoke with the head of um, the, the New York Metro um, Soccer League, a league I played in when I retired when I was living in New York City, uh, also, the Cosmos League, when I played with uh, New York Athletic Club, I asked them, you know, what are the challenges? And one of the things they told me, for most of the people, they say the same thing, getting fields. I mean, securing fields is one of the hardest challenges at the youth level. So we, we have an enormous surplus. And what I see with that big surplus is I, I see opportunity cost. I see coaches not being paid. I see salaries not being paid. I see fields not being built. I see um, youth programs not being subsidized. I, I see initiatives that we could be funding. Now, listen, if you point to Germany and what they did after their Euro failure, that, that is a 10-year plan that can be mapped, starting with their success under Yugi Love, all the way back to the beginning when they decided to implement it, they've thrown billions of dollars at that, at that problem. Now, we, we don't have the money to do that, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't subsidize it and use some of our money to start moving in the right direction. Um, but before I ask delegates to nominate me, I, I, I want them to know who I am. But what's much more important than that, I want to know who they are and what they need. So I, I'm I'm confident I will get my my three nominations. I'm confident I'll get I'll get many more than that. But um, you know, before December 12th, when those are due, uh, I think it's important for me to not start by asking what they can do for me. I need to start by asking what I can do for them. Okay, do we I mean, have that's the to... challenge, Bo. Yes. I mean, that's, sure. that's the challenge, too, is, like, th there are many different interests, and, and what makes makes us a, a kind of fractured soccer nation is the fact that they're, they're all – it's very tribal, and there are a lot of groups not listening to each other. So one thing I need to do as president is I, I need to be able to speak each language, but I need to bring everyone to the table so that we can all work together for a common goal of growing this game. So on your site, and we should go ahead and plug this, uh, that is – Everyone's Game USA, all one word, dot com. Uh, you mentioned that the progress plan will be available in the coming weeks based on three simple tenets: that's transparency, quality, and progress. Uh, so, which of those would you like to take first? So let's just take. You know that that starts with the top. That starts with the president position. It's a position that should be full-time. It's a position that should be dedicated to growing the game in this country and fixing the soccer problems. And, and it should be a paid position so we can hold that person accountable so that they we, – we don't narrow it down to the independently wealthy or the people that work other jobs or find other ways to profit off the office. Um, so that's – that, that, that's an easy way to start that discussion. Um, but most importantly, we need transparency in terms of it's hard to understand how U.S. soccer is run. Um, the 
the uh, sorry, I'm in the subway right now. But um, <laughs> we need an outside independent firm to take a look at U.S. soccer and determine is it being run the right way? Are there any conflicts of interest? Is it efficient? Is this is this how is this the best way to run the organization? Um, supposedly in 2015. Uh, there was an article I remember Daniel did where he said that they hired a couple of high firms. I think the it was maybe in the New York Times or the New York Daily News. I can't remember what the what publication did the article. Um, but Daniel said that they were doing an audit mm-hmm. on the U.S. soccer to make sure it was in compliance. Has anyone seen the results of that? I thought I saw results. I, I'm going to have to dig around. I thought I saw... A report at some point, but I'm not sure if it was that one or the prior one. Uh, there was, there were some government's reviews alongside the decision to trim the board from 40 to 15, which was about 12 years ago. Um, and of course, that was also driven. They, they, that was partially to satisfy the U.S. Olympic Committee, which uh, was advocating that all its federations do that. But um, yeah, I mean. U.S. Soccer publishes bylaws and the policy manual and minutes of board meetings, well, somewhat. They seem to go into executive session an awful lot. And um, and then the transcripts of the annual general meetings, but we don't get – yeah, and, and the financial statements, which are required, uh, but you don't necessarily get, say, the governance reports, and also we don't know anything about the councils, you know, pro-youth. Athletes and so forth. I've had my um, attorneys helping me with this campaign comb through the bylaws, and these mm-hmm. are some incredibly smart individuals, much smarter than I am. And most of them have come back and said it's kind of hard to understand how this whole thing works. <laughs> so the bylaws aren't exactly. It's, uh, I, I wouldn't say that's transparency in its purest form. They're, they're a bit confusing. Mm-hmm. Hi, just a quick note here. This is one of a couple of occasions in which I lost Kyle's phone, or Kyle's phone lost me. He was going through the New York subway at the time, and I tried. we tried to pick back up midstream. It didn't quite work, so what comes next is going to sound a little odd, but it does tie into what he was saying just a second ago. So try to keep yourself in that frame of mind, and here we go again. Uh, there are a lot of people doing great things at U.S. soccer, and 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 maybe um, getting an outside firm to look into it might uncover that everything's been doing, everything's being done the way it should be done. But but we have to start there so that we finally just answer the question, even if there's perceived inefficiencies or conflict of interest, we can answer that question out front, and then um, on the equality front. Um, you know, this starts with the inequality in our U.S. soccer players. We we are treating our men differently than we're treating our women. They should be paid the same salary. They should have the same facilities. They should have the same travel. They wear the badge, and they're U.S. soccer players. And by the way, they're world-class athletes that are World Cup winners. They should be treated that way, and it really upsets me that they're not. Right, and there actually have been some people who – 
complained that we've not been talking about women's soccer enough in this in this election. Well, what bothers me is when we're talking about U.S. soccer and we're talking about women's national team, but when we do talk about the women's national team, it's to brag about them and use that as justification for the way things are being done. And if you talk to any current women's national team players or, or former women's national team players, they'll all tell you that the program's headed in the wrong direction. What, what they'll say is that their success is being used to paper over cracks. I mean, our women are the Brazil, the Germany, the Spain, the Argentina of the women's side. And one reason is because Title IX and other mechanisms allowed us to focus on women's sports in ways other countries weren't, but other countries are doing that now. They're catching up with and surpassing our women. Um, and, and most importantly, every problem we talk about on the men's and women's side shouldn't start with the national team. That's the end. Uh, that, that, that's not the problem. The problem's at the youth level, and we need to ensure that we're training the next Michelle Akers, the next Bea Hamm, the next Christine Lilly, the next Abby Wambach, the next uh, Alex Morgan. The, 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 the women fear that the coaching and the resources are not ensuring they can continue their dominance, dominance and continue to produce world-class players. Yeah, me again. Uh, his phone cut off in mid-answer, so we literally packed up and tried again. Here we go. So what do you do to uh, increase accessibility and perhaps cut costs? Okay. So, you know, the problem with the game at the youth level is it's become a rich kid game. It is so, it's so expensive to play the game at an elite level. And I can tell you, because I've been through every single part of the soccer landscape. I've played um, rec. I've played travel. I've played premier. I've played uh, ODP. I played high school. I was in the residency program. I went to college, played at University of Virginia. I, I played professionally. I played for the national team. And then now I'm on the backside of that, paying for the first time to play uh, in a men's league. And I, I've seen what's broken uh, at, at every level. But, but the biggest problem is at that, that youth level, if my parents gave me the bill for my soccer education, I wouldn't be able to afford it. So what we need to do is maybe look at what Germany did and say, Here's a country that that failed, and for them, failing is a much higher level than, than, than us. They, they they dropped out of the tournament uh, in the Euros to Croatia without making it to the semis or the final, and that was failure for them. And it created this initiative to focus on the youth, but also try try and make them a more creative and and flair um, based team. You know, historically, Germany as a, as a culture, but also their national teams, are risk-averse. And they wanted to inspire young kids, like the Mario Gutzes, like the, the um, Mesut Ozil's, to, to embrace creativity and risk-taking, but not lose their essence. And that was a massive focus on the youth. 390 centers of excellences around the country, 1,200 scouts and, and, and coaching. I mean, they threw billions of dollars at the youth problem. We can't, we can't do that here. We don't, we don't have billions of dollars to throw at that. But in our $150 million surplus, I see, I see, um, for me, salaries not being paid to coaches. I, I see a youth program not being subsidized. I see opportunity cost. And 
listen, we can't do it all through U.S. soccer surplus, and that wouldn't be fiscally responsible. But that doesn't mean we can't get together with our strategic partners, whether it be sponsors or professional leagues, ask everyone to pony up to make the game more affordable at the youth level, but also make coaching more affordable. It is it, so expensive to get a, a, a license, to, to go through the, the badges. And if you look at Spain, one of the, the, the countries everyone's trying to catch up with and emulate, they have the most certified coaches with UEFA license out of any country. And it's just because the path to becoming a coach in Spain is an easy one. It is a very, very difficult path to becoming a coach in this country. So not only is it expensive, but a lot of times these coaches aren't being taught the right way to train players. So we have two problems at the youth level. The game's too expensive, and we need to subsidize it and come up with programs and link with grassroots programs to make it more affordable in inner cities and invite kids that aren't a part of the process to finally – uh, be able to be identified, which means more scouts, and be trained, which means higher level of coaches. Um, but, but also, we have to, for the kids that have families more than willing to pay the high premium to be involved in elite soccer at a youth level, they need a better soccer education. They're not getting what, they, what they're paying for. Okay. So, yeah, there's uh, – would you do anything about all these – different organizations that are sometimes butting heads with each other in the youth game. Well, yeah, it's a very tribal organization. and That's why it's it's the most difficult problem to solve because what used to be, you know, one youth organization is now about five or six. And we need to get everyone at the table and to stop competing for each other's players. And the development academy was a step in the right direction, but not executed the right way. We need to rethink the youth space and look at, why it's not working, and also why it's become so tribal. And it's not about getting rid of pay-to-play. That will always exist. And by the way, it exists in every other sport, and it exists in other countries. I, I don't know why we keep acting like that's a unique thing in, in soccer. But the problem is it has become so profitable, and, and it's an area that has kept a lot of kids out of the system. The answer isn't to get rid of pay-to-play. It's just to create incentives for these organizations to lower their costs, which means looking into solidarity payments and reimbursement, training reimbursement. I know that there are labor laws and difficulties to get that passed, but there are absolutely ways to make that possible. There are ways to help these clubs bring their costs down without taking their livelihood away. But there's also ways to create great soccer environments that don't fall under their umbrella, that that are a part of different after-school programs or or local grassroots movements. We, We just need to make sure that everyone's pulling in the same direction and we're not competing for kids but also creating a meritocracy at the youth level based on results because when it's based on results you, you disincentivize coaches developing players the right way the, the, the meritocracy at the youth level should be based on performance we need to see coaches incentivized to get teams to build out of the back to play the way that some of the best countries in the world play and understand that you're going to lose a lot of games while you're learning how to do that so that the, when these kids get to the professional level and the national team level, they have the, the neural mapping and the muscle memory to be that type of athlete. We can't expect them all of a sudden because Jurgen Klinsmann is the coach to, to play a different way than the U.S. has historically found success. All right, so that's on the youth game. Now on the pro game, I – 
feel like I have to ask uh, the favorite topic of Twitter. And although, since you, I'll, I'll just ask, ask this. I mean, obviously, this question is going to be promotion relegation. And let me, let me ask it this way. Do you, it, in all the people you've been talking with, all the people who've been urging you to run, all the people who you're talking with now about uh, potentially being nominated or just letting them know that you want to hear what they have to say, how big of an issue is it within U.S. soccer as a whole? Is what? Sorry, you, you, you broke up. Is uh, promotion relegation. Oh, okay. How big um, of an issue is that really with, you know, state associations, adult league reps, people who actually have votes and actually have states in this thing? Well, here's my position on it, and, and this should be the position of everyone. Anything that grows the game in this country, anything that improves the quality on the field and the competition and, and makes it compelling, it should be looked at. So. If, if opening the system helps youth development and 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 helps uh, create a more compelling soccer landscape, but grows the quality of players in this country, then yeah, everyone should be looking at that, figuring out a way to do it. Now, the reason that we're not doing it is because it's not possible right now, based on the challenges of our soccer landscape. It's unique to any other country in the world. Now, now the open system exists. In every world, in every sorry, in every country, but some of them have different models. Uh, whether it's closed relegation with with only two tiers, I mean, people have tweaked that idea to make sure it fits within their sports landscape. And our sports landscape is unlike anyone around the country. So we just have to be careful that if that's an idea that could work, if that's an idea that grows the game, and and is where we should be headed, you create a roadmap there. Because if you don't create a roadmap, it's a cliff. And and when Major League Soccer came around, it was a, a wasteland. And without Major League Soccer, we wouldn't have had the 2002 World Cup performance. We we wouldn't have had many things. I wouldn't have had a profession. Uh, I would have had to try my luck getting into one of the leagues here and finding a way to make a living or find a way to get overseas. A very difficult challenge for someone that doesn't have um, – the national team caps, or the the dual citizenship. So it's an idea that it gets discredited because people go about it so passionately that they they make it hard to have a discussion about it. It, it becomes a screaming match. And we need to just take the emotion out of it and, and find out if it's something that can be done, and if it is, when can we do it? All right. So. In closing, what what is your closing speech? What is your two-minute pitch to say vote out of all these candidates? Some of them are very good, and what I found is I, I, I talk to all these people, and I, I think I hope that this person stays involved with U.S. soccer um, because they all bring something to the table, and I, I hope they'll stay in. But uh, of all these people, why vote for Kyle Martino? Well, the answer there is not why you should vote for me, but, but first figure out what you need. Uh, I think we're getting lost a little bit in the who should you vote for, when in reality, the landscape, if you look at it, the field is, is diverse. There, there are many different types of presidents. There, there are many different types of people that encapsulate different areas of 
what is needed. And I think first and foremost, we need to answer the question, what do we need? And for me, we need a soccer visionary. We need someone who can solve the soccer problem because U.S. soccer right now, the business is going well, and that's one of the things that we're grateful for Dan Flynn and Sunil Galati for. I mean, growing the budget to $150 million, double, double what it was in an eight-year period, getting on the FIFA council. I mean, the, the, the business side of things is growing, but it's been at the cost of the soccer side. There's no progress there. So you have to first, as a delegate, answer the question, what do we need from our president? And we need a soccer visionary, someone who has the nous to address those issues, but has, again, the humility to know that they don't have all the answers and finally empowers all of the people who can make these decisions and help solve these problems. And that, once we answer that, I think that puts me ahead of the rest. And, 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 and I, I like and respect many people in this race, and I'm glad that they're stepping up to challenge Sunilti uh, comes forward, but also just challenge the, the paradigm and, and, and hope for something more for our soccer country. But I think once you answer the question what we need, it's going to be clear on who you need. I, I'm the person that can mobilize the soccer community, and I've done it in a month. All of these people are behind me, and I, we're all meeting together at my summit uh, December 4th through the 6th in Manhattan. We're going to create a progress plan. You're going to see exactly how we're going to solve this problem. And using letters like David Beckham and Thierry Henry was just to illustrate that this is something we can ask our global friends, the people who believe in this game, who've contributed in our country, to help us solve this problem and show that I have that reach. Uh, and, you know, I've decided not to talk about the people here who are supporting me because, like you said, I want to make sure that no one's marginalized and punished for aligning themselves with a candidate that may eventually not win this thing. We need everyone. We need to ask on all opinions. And everyone that cares about this game to step forward and solve this problem. And it's why I'm willing to leave my dream job to do it. All right. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for chatting today while you while traveling. I know that's yeah. uh, <laughs> Sorry. Well, the, the, the tr making a, a transit interview, this was one of the most challenging, so I appreciate your patience. Well, I mean, we've. We're both dads, and you've got two young kids right now, and I still remember that that means you become a master multitasker. So um, I I understand. <laughs> and uh, best of luck, and I look forward to uh, seeing your progress plan in December. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Yay, my voice held up. And in case you didn't notice, yes, there were a few edits in that. Uh, Kyle was on a train and then a subway. I lost him a couple of times. Um, kind of a difficult conversation, but I'm glad that we stuck with it. So I had to go back and do a little bit of editing. At one point, it's sort of like, well, let's restart where we were, which isn't always the easiest thing to do. Of course, he's a TV personality, so he has more practice at that than I do. But, yeah, I... I think it turned out pretty interesting in the, in the long run, and he's an interesting candidate. We have a lot of interesting candidates, and again, if you are a candidate for the U.S. Soccer Presidency and want to be on the podcast, you have an open invitation. I am very easy to find. Next week, assuming I don't have an interview pop up at the last minute, uh, I'm going to be taking the week off for Thanksgiving. The week after that might be a solo podcast, but then we'll get back onto an interview schedule for the couple of weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you know, obviously things will be a little slower during the holidays. And then we'll rev up again in January. But 
again, I can still do some interviews if you're running for U.S. soccer president. Please let me know. So until probably two weeks from now, this is Bo Dewar. Please check out Ranting Soccer Dad the blog. Please find me on Twitter at Dewar Sport. And I will talk to you later.